Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning, church family. It is so good to get to be with you today. I don't know that if you were part of the service last week or not. If you weren't, I want to encourage you to go online and to listen to the introduction and those first verses that Pastor Ed shared with us last week. It was a a masterful presentation, and he gave us an understanding of the book being able to be summarized in one single word. You remember what that word was? That sounds like two syllables. Uh, Let's try it again. What's that word? Joy. He gave us a great definition. Joy is a deep and abiding sense of delight and contentment in Jesus because you love and trust him. And as he was sharing with us about the fact that this was going to be his last sermon series with the church, and as he was talking about how this was a letter that Paul wrote from prison to a church that he dearly loves. And as you read this letter, you can tell that Paul loves this church. But I couldn't help but notice as I was watching Pastor Ed share that message, the love that he has for this church being poured out as he preached. And I am so grateful that this church has been led by somebody who deeply loves you that deeply cares about what happens to your family and what happens to you individually. And I know that it is his prayer that the next under-shepherd that comes to this church will come to know you and love you just like he has. And it's a tremendous blessing to have Pastor Ed and Cindy having walked for all these decades together with this church family. And so this morning I'm going to ask you to Turn with me in Philippians chapter 1. You're going to remember those first few verses that Pastor Ed shared with us. He includes the salutation. He goes on to the affirmation of the church. And now we're going to look, if you will, to the supplication, to a prayer that Paul prays for them at the very beginning of the letter. And as we look at this, I just want to ask you to walk with me as we talk about not only what the Word of God says to us, but how we might apply it to the moment in time that Magnolia's First Baptist family finds itself. What about what God has to say to us in this time of transition? And then also, how could we apply that in understanding who we should nominate to be part of the pastor search committee? Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Let's pray. Lord, as we look in your word, may it look into our hearts. May we hear what you have to say to us. May we receive the encouragement that you want to give us 
the instruction you want to share with us. May we be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart, revealing to us the things that we need to know today. And as we prayerfully go forward as a church family, may we be faithful to apply and to live out the word that is found here in your text. In Jesus, your holy name, amen. Philippians chapter 9 says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. And he says to them, I want you to love, and I want your love to be overflowing. I want it to be escaping the boundaries. I want it to flow so much that it's impactful and meaningful. And you have to ask yourself, well, what kind of love is he talking about? Is he talking just about an emotional type of love? Is it what John Lennon said, when all the world needs is love, just love. We just need love. We're just going to love. We're going to love. The word here for love is a word that's used very intentionally. It's used very liberally throughout the New Testament. It's a word, agape. It's a word that is used very intentionally in this passage, but what I want you to think about before we define it is just some of the elements that create it. The first is, is that, that agape love is a, a love that is based solely upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's what Christ has done for you and for I on the cross in his death, burial, and resurrection. It is when Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is trying to figure out, how is it that I can come to know God? How is it that I can enter into what you're talking about? What do you mean I have to be born again? What, what, what are you trying to tell me? And Jesus looks at him and says, in verse 16 of John 3, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. And the very foundation of the understanding of agape love, it is a sacrificial love, it is a yielded love, it is a focused love, it's an intentional love, and it's not sentimental It causes change to happen because Jesus looked at you. Jesus looked at me. God saw us through eternity and said, I will save them. But it's going to cost. It's going to cost the life of my perfect son. The foundation of agape love is the sacrifice of Christ. And because of that, there's a security that comes of being loved by God that way. The Bible says that we receive his love for us, his grace toward us without merit of our own. But we keep it without merit as well. Because it says in Romans 8, 38, that we can have security in that love knowing that it's based upon the character of God. He says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so 
as we set this up, it's this clarity that I'm loved by God, not because I earned it, not because I deserved it. I'm loved by God because he chose to love me. He chose it. He chose it. He chose to love me. And because of that, and he's keeping me. The Bible says that even when I mess up after I become a follower in Jesus Christ, even when I fail and I sin, the Bible says that in 1 John that he is faithful to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we will confess our sin to him. That God keeps us in that love and that the response of that love is because of what Christ has done for me, because of the experiences that I have of God's forgiveness and restoration in my life, that I then in turn love you and love this world. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 19, we love each other because he loved us first. And so I can't keep from loving because he first loved me. And you know what it doesn't say in that passage? It doesn't say, I love because I like you. <laughs> Are you sitting by somebody you don't really like? Don't look. Wow. <laughs> Have you ever had somebody in your life that you thought, you know, I can love you in Jesus, but that's about as far as it's going to go? What God speaks in this moment is because of what Christ did for me on the cross. Because of what God allowed me to enter into through the saving grace of Jesus. Because of his sustaining work in my life and the continual understanding of his grace and mercy into my heart, I can't keep from loving him or you. But, but what if I find that at times I'm struggling a bit? What if I'm finding at times that, that sometimes I just hold back a little bit? What, what's the answer to that? Well, it's, it's found right here in this verse. It says that we are to love in a way that overflows. Remember this, agape love is a deep, unconditional sacrifice Sacrificial love that God has for humankind, absent of merit on our part, fully realized in the supreme sacrifice of Christ and demonstrated in the lives of his kids. If you know forgiveness, if you know his love, the Bible says we will love. And the thing about God's love is just like water. It says that I want you to love in a way that you can't contain it. He says, I want your love to be unbounded. And the picture there is like a river that just rolls up and takes over its banks and goes beyond them and goes wherever it will. You know, years ago when I came to association, almost 19 years ago, my search team did not tell me a thing about hurricanes. Nothing. First five years, two major hurricanes. And I'm going to tell you what I learned about water. It goes where it wants to. You can talk to it. You can say, get thee behind me, Satan. It's coming. You can put up sandbags. You can do everything you can. You can do the best possible job you know how to do. But here's the thing. If there's a crack of any kind, it finds its way through. And the Bible says that God wants us to love in such a way. He wants God's love to abound in our lives in such a way that 
As we walk through this world, people experience that love. And even if somebody is sitting back and saying, I don't want that, I don't believe in that Jesus, that love finds a crack and it goes to that hardened heart. God's love can overcome. How do I grow in that love? Philippians 1.9, it says, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. And this is the, twin, this is the sword with the twin blade. He says, I want you to grow in knowledge, not, not a general knowledge or experiential knowledge. I want you to grow in the knowledge that is found by you knowing God's Word and by God's Word getting into your life. It's spending time with Him. It's reading His Word. It's allowing that Word to take hold of us. But also it says, not just grow in knowledge, not just grow so you could take a test and say, I know you know, who the oldest person was in the Old Testament, or I know who the second wife of this, that's not what it's about. That's not, that's not the key. It's knowledge that comes with understanding. And that word for understanding is discernment. And that's the ability to take what you've read, to take the truth that you're hearing, and to apply it to everyday life and to live out what God has revealed. It's not the ability to tell someone else, this then is how you should live. I'm going to live any way I want to, but this is what you ought to do. It's letting God have his will with us in a very intentional way. And by allowing the overflowing love of God, based upon the increasing knowledge that we have in his word, the application of his word into our life, and the faithfulness to, to be obedient to him, verse 10 can become a reality. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. He wants you to understand what really matters. And the, the language there really says this, I want you to test so you can see what really matters. Put it to a test. To live a life that has been tested, that is found pure and that is found blameless. And the idea there is, is that, that if we're going to follow the Lord, we follow him with all our heart and not just part of our heart. That we can't live in love with Jesus and in love with the world. That we can't mix any more than we can mix iron and clay together. You can't have a little Jesus and a whole lot of you. We are to be his servants, his vessels, so that we are yielded fully to him. So we can walk with each other in a blameless way. So that the way that I live, the choices that I make, allow me to live before you in a way that is without blame. That's how we're called to live with each other. And that life doesn't happen unless you're doing it on purpose. So how could we apply that to where we are today as a church family as we're navigating through these uh, days? And let me just give you some very practical application of how we can be careful to stay pure before the Lord and stay blameless. Could we agree that we need to be careful what we say? You know, the Bible tells us in James that the tongue is just a very small member, but oh, the havoc it can wreak. 
So can we be careful about what we say? Especially now, would it be, can I just encourage you, let's, let's be careful about our speculation. Having a question is fine. Asking questions to the appropriate people is fine. But you know, sometimes what happens is a question moves into speculation and projection. And very, very unintentionally, but eventually, it just moves to division. And you start having camps develop. We have to be careful that we guard the unity of the church. And you know, you can be very well-meaning, but I just want you to hear something. This isn't the time to come alongside a staff member of this church and say, why don't you be the next pastor of this church? I think it'd be a good idea for you to be the next pastor of this church. Can I give you an idea? The Holy Spirit is pretty competent. <laughs> no, really. The Holy Spirit, the breath of God that spoke the world in existence, could probably take care of that for you. If God wants to call someone out of the staff, you let God do the calling. But this isn't the time to say, well, we've talked about it, and we decided you. This is the time to say, I'm going to get on my face and pray and let God do the revealing of what he wants to do. You know, there's no lack of opinions. You know, I, I'll never forget the fact when I, when I realized that if you put two Baptists in a room, you've already got three opinions. <laughs> this isn't the time for agendas or, man, finally, I'm going to get to make that a suggestion. I'm going to get them to do what I think we ought to do. This is the time for a yielded heart. This is the time for a careful heart. Matter of fact, could I suggest to you that long before we talk about something, we ought to be on our face praying about something. That we ought to spend more time praying about things than we spend talking about things. I've been married for 39 years, eight months, 18 days, and a few hours. <laughs> Early in my marriage, I thought I could help my wife become a better person. <laughs> I didn't say I was smart. I just married well. And she tried to help me too. A few months in, the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, Roger, I got an idea. Why don't you shut up and you listen to me because I got a lot of work to do on you. And then I'll take care of her, but let's just work on you. And I didn't think that was a good deal. But I yielded. You know what I noticed after three or four months? Things were happening better, and we were talking, and and she looked at me, she said, do you know what happened to me a few months ago? I said, no. And she told me, the Lord told her the same thing. That I just needed to trust the Holy Spirit to work on her. And I needed to be fully yielded to listen. This is a time as a church family where it's way more important for us to listen to what God is saying to us so that we focus on what really matters and not on speculation. I want you to hear something. What really matters is the next six-year-old that says yes to Jesus, whose life is never the same. 
It's the next 16-year-old that says yes to Jesus because they suddenly have a heart open for ministry and toward a life that will fulfill what God's intention is for them. It's the next 32-year-old dad that says, I'm going to yield myself to Jesus so my family can know what it is to have a godly father. It's that 60-year-old man that says, I'm going to finally say yes to Jesus and quit resisting the work of God. It's that 90-year-old that says, yes, we are here to see lives transformed. God can raise the under-shepherd up. He is counting on you to be the voice and the life that this world sees Jesus through. We got to focus on what matters. We got to focus on him. Verse 11 says, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. He said, I want you filled with the fruit of your salvation. You know, to be filled with the fruit of the salvation, there's one choice I have to make. I have to choose to intentionally and continually dwell with Jesus. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, those who remain in me, and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, there are so many places through Scripture that God is so clear and so explicit, and this is one of them. And Jesus said, this is how this works. You hang out with me. You let me be living in you. You obey what I say. You focus on knowing me, and I'm going to do things through your life. But if you don't do that, it's just wood, hay, and stubble. Oh, you can do some things in the flesh that look or appear to be valuable. But what is eternal, what will last, are those things empowered by the Holy Spirit through me abiding in Jesus Christ. Yielded to him, trusting him, and not my own flesh. The fruit of our salvation transforms my character. Because as I'm with Jesus, I can't help but be like Jesus. You have a friend like that? You have a friend that when you're with them, they make you want to be better, to do better? I'm that way around my wife. It makes me, she shows me how to be more loving, how to be more encouraging. You hang out with Jesus, you listen to what he has to say, you yield yourself to him, and you're going to find out that he's showing up through you because you're reflecting his heart. Our character will be transformed because Paul says the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. In Galatians 5, Paul wrote, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against those things. And so I have to ask myself the question, how am I doing reflecting those qualities in my life? How am I doing in growing intentionally in the fruit that God says he wants to produce 
into my heart. And could we just say as we reflect on what Paul has already prayed about, the love abounding about the truth of God and understanding of its application and the fruit of righteousness being seen in their life, that that would be a good starting point when we think about who to nominate to be on the pastor search committee. Let me just give you a, a few placeholders to consider as you pray about who to nominate. Pray for someone that has a heart for God. First and foremost, their heart is for the Lord. This is not a popularity contest. This isn't something that people uh, lobby for or recruit toward. This is stopping before the Holy One and saying, Lord, who do you want me to nominate? This is a person that has a genuine walk with God. This is a person that has a demonstrated prayerful heart. This isn't a perfect person, but someone who is in the life of being, protect, being perfected by Jesus because they're walking with him every day. Is that what I see in them? Am I seeing an intentional decision on their part to grow and to move forward? Also, this should be someone that is mature of character and conduct. And let, let me very quickly tell you that, that I'm not talking about age. I just want to tell you that there are, there, <coughs> excuse me, there are some folks, they might get saved at six, but some of them have repeated their spiritual maturity every single year since then. They've not grown. It's about character. It's about conduct. It's not about their age. Listen, you can get older without becoming an elder. They have to have a life that is demonstrating transformation. When I was 22 years old, my wife and I became part of a mission church. It was meeting in a, in a hotel right across the parking lot from our apartments, which was an answer to prayer, because we wanted to go to a church where we could take our neighbors to church, and that worked out pretty good. And so as we were part of that mission church, I began to teach Sunday school, was on the finance committee, doing a bunch of different things. And one day, we came to the place where we're selecting the pastor search committee, and I get a phone call from Ralph Templin, and he says, Roger, you've been asked to serve. And I said, Ralph, there's been a mistake. I am 23 years old. I'm a part-time carpenter. I'm a full-time seminary student. I'm not the right guy. He said, no, that, it's, it's been decided. And I said, okay. And then I started thinking about this committee. There was Ralph Templin, the guy that called me, who was a retired executive from Southwestern Bell, longtime deacon in a large church, one of the kindest, most generous, most consistent men I had ever watched before. There was Carol Childress, who was with the Baptist General Convention of Texas at that time in the church planting movement area, and someone that I knew firsthand was brilliant when it came to understanding community and demographics and how to move forward in leadership. And there's Don over there, and Don is going to leave with his family in two years to go to South America to be on mission for God. And then they let me be in there, and I thought, I know, I'm to carry the bags. I can do that. And the Lord stretched me and grew me. And I remember we were driving back after meeting a pastor in a little town and having uh, lunch with them. And we're driving back and the, the car is all quiet. And in my spirit, the Lord just spoke to my heart. And I just said out loud, we're driving away from the man God is calling to our church. And the other three people in the car said, 
That's exactly what I was thinking about. I just didn't know if I could say it out loud. I want you to hear that you can be 23 and used by God. I'm also mindful that God used Balaam's donkey to talk. <laughs> the point is, God can do what God wants to do when his kids say, yes. Yes, Lord. Someone who has that heart. It's not about tenure in the church. It's about character of their life. Now, I'm not saying they've been here six weeks. They ought to join the committee. But you shouldn't have to be here 60 years or maybe even 30 years, maybe even 10 years. The real question is, does this person have the character and a love for this church? Do they have a deep value system that drives their decisions, their actions? Are they willing? Are they willing to sacrifice personal preferences for God's choice? You know, we all have preferences, right? But the people that serve on this committee have to be people that are willing to take their preferences to the altar and say, Lord, they may not like the translation of the Bible that I like, but they sure love you. Lord, they may preach an hour and a half. You're kidding. <laughs> Maybe we can help them break it up into a three-part series. but they're willing to yield themselves to the will of God. Another thing is this. They're committed to the church ministry and its leadership today. This should be someone that has a consistent history in the small group ministry of this church, whether that's in Sunday school or in small groups, and in the ministries of this church. This shouldn't be the first place they served. This should be the place they serve because they have shown a heart for service. Someone that's focused on the future while valuing the present and having an appreciation for the past of this church and its history. Supportive of the ministry and the present leadership of the church in the past. That, that's so important. I, I will tell you that it's going to be important that people that when they didn't agree with leadership, did it in a way that it glorified God. I did not cause a problem in the church family. It's one who mirrors the heart and the direction that God has given to this church family. It's not that they don't bring with them something fresh, but man, this, this is a church that has a history of people loving Jesus. This is a church that has a history that says we care about the individual and not just the crowd. This is a church that has a history that says being on mission is more important than just receiving. And they have that kind of heart. The pastor search committee is not a beginning point for their ministry involvement. It's the culmination of faithfulness being demonstrated in their lives. One last thing. Trust God. Just trust God. You be faithful, you pray, you focus, and God's going to do a work. A couple of little things I'm just going to mention. One is, while the pastor search committee process is not always perfect, 
We can trust our perfect God to bring about his perfect will. We can trust him. And also, don't feel like you have to fill in every blank. I don't know how many blanks there are exactly, but I know this. If God gave you four names, stop at four. Don't pull out the directory or start calling friends or checking Facebook or wherever you would go to find and say, oh, yeah, they might be good. Let's focus on the ones that we have prayerfully considered and we're presenting because we have prayed about them and are confident about them. And can I mention to you to pray for the pastor's committee right now, to pray for them every day. I know they're not formed yet, but pray about who will be on it. Pray who's going to be the chairperson of it. Pray for the individuals. Pray for their families. going to spend time to do it. And also, by the way, pray for if God calls you to serve on the pastor search committee. What if God chose you? What if the call comes for you or you? Can you pray now about being available? It could be that in that prayer, God says very clearly, no, this isn't the right season for you for whatever circumstance or reason. But don't tell the person on the other line, I need a month to pray about this. I got to pray and fast and say, just get to it now. You got a month. You got time. Pray now and ask the Lord what he wants to do. As Paul prayed, when we choose God's love to abound through our lives, when we allow his word to work in our lives, as we apply his word by the choices we make, and as the fruit of Christ pours out of our lives, our life can fulfill what is found at the end of verse 11. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. That's what it's all about, bringing glory and praise to God. Now, I want to share with you what I told the first service, and that is, I'm right here with you. See, on January 8th, it wasn't just your pastor that announced his retirement. On January 8th, I was at West Conroe Baptist Church, where my pastor, for 18 years, announced his retirement. He's the longest pastor I've ever had. I mean, unless you count me, pastoring me, and that was a real bad deal. <laughs> 18 years, Jay Ross has been my pastor. Jay and Diane are dear friends of our family. We travel together, done things together, much like with Ed and Cindy. And on that day, I saw my friend get up, and so he had called me and said, Roger, at the end of both services, I'd like for you to pray. I said, I'm sorry, I can do the first service, but I promised Ed. So I'm going to Ed's. He goes, I'm your pastor. I said, you're late. I love you, but she was called earlier. So I got to, well, I mean, you know, that's how it's got to work. And so after the end of that 8 o'clock service, I prayed over my pastor and, and his wife and over our church family, and then I drove legally to Magnolia. I know about what's out there. And I prayed, got in time for Ed's sermon, which was brilliant, and then was able to pray over this church, over those two services. And I want you to know, I know all about the questions you may have in your heart. I've lived it. I'm living it. Here's what I know. I trust him who holds tomorrow because he has never failed, not once.
You know, I've walked with more than 50 churches through the pastor search committee process, trained countless scores of committees about this process. And as I've done that, I've come across different things and writings. And after reading through so much stuff, I wrote down three little notes I'm going to share with you. Your pastor is changing. Your Lord is not. Your comfort may be challenged, but your comforter is not. Your pastor's tenure is closing, but God's provision is coming. To God be the glory, great things he has done and great things he will do. Let's pray. Father, thank you in the midst of challenge and change that you are never, ever surprised. And Lord, it's not that you just know what's going to happen. You have an answer for what's coming. You have a provision in the midst of what we're walking through. And Lord, you never asked us to have every answer, but to trust you for our answers. And so, fathers, we walk through this time and we do so in a way that demonstrates a life that is pure and blameless. May we trust your word, know your word, dwell in your word, and apply your word to our life so that your love may abound and abound beyond hope or imagination. May the fruit of righteousness pour through us so that others can see Jesus and know Jesus and come to Jesus. Because in this time, we trust you because you are worthy of our praise. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.